0: get your Bibles ready, we're going to be looking at Luke 24. For those of you who want to turn the pages or those who are going to scroll through your phone, here we are. I didn't catch whether Steve had mentioned that if you're fortunate enough to have more than one friend, there's actually extra invitation cards out in the foyer. So feel free to, to snag those. Um, for those of you who have made good friends with your neighbors... It's a wonderful thing, not to slip in their mailbox, but the next time you see them, just hand them a very sharp, well-produced Thanks to Laura Fair card. And um, it's good. Well, as we examine this road trip that Steve introduced and the lessons we will pick up on, we believe uh, these lessons are going to guide us on a journey that can be that that we think we can safely state as one that all disciples must journey if they desire to be a Jesus follower. This is not a cute idea. This isn't, oh gosh, wonder what we're gonna talk about as we go into Easter. What we wanna do through this particular three Sunday series, the first two particularly, the third one is gonna be a wonderful message for those that you are inviting, but is to help us understand what, what is the culture of the church? How do we grow as a church? What's a personal culture? What, how, how, what's my life doing? Is it just a, a series of to-dos? Or am, all, or, or, or am I learning that, in fact, I am developing into something or someone called a follower of Jesus? And uh, so, kind of hitting here. Well, as this journey, this, this road trip emerges, there'll be three distinct mile markers. And on this journey, uh, or on, on this Sunday... Our first mile marker we've simply called GPS fail, number one. Now, as much as we want to trust our faithful GPSs, they, well, let's just say they aren't God. You know what I mean? Look at this one. GPS fails are not that uncommon. Here's the result of three young women who ended up neck deep in Mercer Slough near Seattle after failing to distinguish a road from a boat launch because that's what their lovely GPS lady told them. Here's this one. Because if you think that driving into a lake can somehow be justified, what about driving straight into an ocean? These Japanese tourists in Australia have managed not to miss it kudos to them. And this last one, Steve Albert, then 47-year-old Lori Driver from the UK. He followed the navigation directions, blindly ended up stuck literally on a narrow country road, and moreover, he had missed his son's 18th birthday. He had to spend the night in the cab waiting for help to come. GPSs. Let me give you a more personal one. Last summer, uh, Brent and I Took a trip to visit my sister in Lincoln, Nebraska, and we had just gotten a new vehicle, a well, new to us vehicle. And one of the things that I wanted in my vehicle was a GPS. And, um, and not being particularly tech savvy, I got my boys, I think it was Evan to skillfully set it up for me. They even bought me the extra downloads so that everything would be guaranteed safe. And, um, and we're going through the options in the setup, and one came across that just made a whole lot of sense to me, and that was an option to take the most direct route. I, I didn't understand GPSs. What you need to understand in this is prior to the purchase of our vehicle and our GPS, we planned the trip in advance, we'd gone to the CAA, we got the the, the little trip tick thing that they provided. Same thing we could've got off our own computer, by the way. But anyways, my wife, the planner, had organized the trip. Follow the map, down the freeways. Best trip, best way to get there. Everything is good, we know how to get to Minot. We kind of get an idea what highway to get when we get sort of south of the border there. And then trouble started, because the lady in my GPS and my wife didn't agree. (laughs) Now, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but you would think that after 40 years of marriage, I would know which one to listen to. I had a new toy. I had to prove that toy. I had to play with that toy. And so I trusted the lady in the GPS, yes. It was difficult at times trying to explain to her as we were going down two-lane bumpy highways, most direct route, honey, why the scenery on this would be much better than on a freeway. It was even harder to explain to her when it came to nighttime and the schedule for our trip that she had planned said we should be in our motel, but when we checked her map, we're three hours away from it. Anyways, so here's the challenge. With GPSs, we either trust somebody else's voice or we only work with half the facts. And for me, half the facts were simply this. I had a plan, my wife had a plan, and we didn't put the plans together, and it got me, rightly so, into trouble. Now, in defense of GPS fails, not always, it's not always their problem. Their navigation abilities are pretty accurate, I think. And a lot of it has to do with the programmer who's working with only part of the necessary information. Your wife. Being half right is too often the definition of being all wrong. So here's the, the cut line on this. There is no risk of a GPS fail when it comes to God. There's, there's our foundation. That's what we're going to stop on. If we're going to look for de- direction in this journey, this road trip we're on, we have to decide in our minds now, if we want this trip to go well, that he's accurate. That his word is That's our foundation. We have to start with that. His word and the story he has been unfolding since the beginning has always pointed to the cross and then to the power of the resurrection, and the word reveals this, and God can be trusted. We have to hang on that. So here lies the foundation for this road trip. And with all that said, let's, let, let's just take the sort of the pictures in my story. We're going to set it aside for a while. Let's focus on this road trip that we find in Luke chapter 24. It starts at verse 13. See, this, this passage, well, let's look at verse 13. It, this is our foundation here. <clears throat> now, the same day, that, that's the Sunday, that's the day that Jesus rose... Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles, or for us Canadians, about 11 kilometers from Jerusalem. See, this passage to me is probably one of the loneliest passages in the Bible, at least as I read it, because every step these two men took reverberated with a pain beyond belief. Disappointment at the lowest of lows. It, it bore the, the tension of, of two conflicting emotions. The pain of grief, having lost this man who had promised so much hope to their nation, jo- Excuse me. joined with the embarrassment of thinking, we have just been royally duped. The day was Sunday, two days after Friday, that had turned into their absolute worst nightmare. Who these two men were, we don't know, other than we know that one of them had the name Cleopas, but we can safely conclude they were followers of Jesus. Initially, they had gone around with him and declared to be a follower of his. They weren't one of the 12. We can be certain of that. Some would suggest that they could very well have been a part of the 70 that are going to meet in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes because, well, you're going to get the rest of the story over the next couple of weeks. But when we come to verse 14, we learn that whoever they were, I wished I'd been part of their conversation. Look, look at verse 14. It simply says they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Everything that had happened. And I, I'm pretty sure, I'm much convinced that page two will be better than page three. I'm pretty much convinced it wasn't just this, ch- this chatter that was going on between them. wasn't just a rehearsing of the past weekend's events. Though, though I'm absolutely sure every event was racing through their heads. How could it not be? Tattooed forever in their mind's eye. That's, that's a picture you don't get rid of. But it was more than just an attempt to put the pieces of some sort of horror puzzle together. No, there had to be this great, big, huge why. It must have just sat in their hearts like something heavy, looking at each other. I I just don't get this. I mean, it was like a 180 degree that that their life three, four days ago to what it is right now. And they're just, what? They're they're complete bewilderment. I'm just wondering, how, how could this event ever been allowed to happen to this one called Jesus? I mean, we saw him healed, didn't we? those were not cute little acts of trickery they were no sleight of hand and we know personally because the story went all around about Lazarus being raised from the dead and when he spoke oh there was such authority when he opened his mouth and he said it you just had to believe what he was saying I mean it just went with that no no, we were intimately connected to this miracle man who gave us so much hope but here's the confusing part conversation. Remember the time he had those leaders so mad at him that they were going to seize him? Who knows what they were going to do to him? But don't you remember how he just mysteriously walked away? He was, he was untouchable. Every day with him, you, you woke up believing that anything was possible. So how could he have allowed himself to be arrested? It's like he just caved in. And smeared it in our faces because we were so loyal. He said he was the truth. He, he, he talked about being the way, his pathway to freedom, even with talk of everlasting life thrown in. And then in my mind's eye, I, I see them looking at each other. I, I see them as I would imagine if, if, it to be if I was there with, with shoulders slouched, body language that just everything kind of caving down, barely able to look each other in the eye, all talked out. Absolutely no words left to be spoken unless you knew the language of broken hearts and shattered dreams. It was going to be a long 11 kilometers. Verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. See, that this man... Now, you and I get the name because the story's written after the fact. They don't have the name. There's just this man who walked up beside them. He's a stranger, catches up or appears in some kind of mysterious way. But anyways, he starts walking beside them. They don't know who he is. And he asks them in verse 17, what are you discussing together as you walk along? You know, just kind of picking up in the conversation. Nice Sunday morning, and uh, let's have a little chat. I mean, that's how it would feel. They stopped. Their, their body language said most of it, at, at least initially, and in shock and dismay, worn out in absolute disbelief, they say, You got to be new around here. Come on, you seriously don't know what's going on? It's like there's, there's only one conversation to be had. It, it was bigger than Trump being elected president with everybody talking. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you. All that talk that was going about this guy that was crucified. And some of the more astute are kind of mocking it because they remember the story that he's going to rise again. All that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking about this time, and and since they are men probably have used up their 1,200 words for the day, they're just hoping the guy will go away. I would if I was in their shoes. I don't want to talk about this anymore disappointment of this magnitude, lost dreams which carried your your very hope line, can take you to the emotional bottom about as fast as anything. And they still have to make it to Emmaus. Now let's stop. We need to pause the storyline for just a moment because I think it's at about this point that we need to do a gut check. Here just to see if if we can identify with what's going on here, is is there any way that that our life can kind of intertwine with the misery and the frustration that these two men were experiencing? We want to learn from this. Do Do you remember, maybe you don't, but do you remember as a teenager, do you remember being dumped by your girlfriend or boyfriend for someone else? Kind of cute, but do you remember it? Feel it for a while. <laughs> or maybe years after you're left staring at the back side of your front door as your husband and wife leaves you for a newer model. Or, or maybe you find out your spouse has been unfaithful. For some, that's the road to Emmaus. Just get me out of town. Anywhere but here. Or how about the dreaded pink slip? You're 55 and you can't afford to retire, and you're thinking, I'm too old, and who would want me? I love my job. Hey, it's, it's happening every day. I mean, try to get a good night's sleep on that reality. Or you don't know if your legs can carry you to the door of your doctor's office after being informed of an irreversible death sentence. I'll never forget the day that I was asked to, to go to the home of a, of a young mom and her son in a little community called Cloyne, Ontario, and waiting for them to come home from his first day of kindergarten. He's all excited. I saw him get off the bus, and he's waving his little paper that he'd drawn something on because this was about Daddy. And I was standing there waiting for them to at least get inside their house before I told them their daddy wasn't coming home because he'd been killed at work. You see, there's things that happen in Jerusalem that shake us to our very core. And they leave us wondering how in the world do we make the next steps into life? life sometimes is just way too complex. You think it's supposed to go in this direction, you got it all planned, you got it all programmed, exciting, and then wham, it takes that turn. You define the that in the turn. It ends up going in the opposite direction, just like two guys running from Jerusalem. Here's the point. Whether you've had to face the severity of life that these two men have faced or, 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 or scenarios that I have described um, life, the, the truth is life is bigger than you and I can manage and sort out and package. Life is disappointments. It has heartbreak moments. It has plans that don't work out moments. And whether you know it or not, you need someone bigger than you to come along beside you and ask this question. What are you discussing as you walk along your broken, disappointed journey? See, I, I think it's interesting that these two men didn't recognize Jesus. Maybe his resurrected body was different enough that, that at first glance, he, he wasn't, well, it wasn't obvious that it was him. Or, or maybe when life is swamped, with junk, we simply don't want to recognize or see our pathway out. It's a human thing, isn't it? Pity, fear, anger, disappointment, pain, they have a strange way of closing our eyes. You get mad and you don't want to get unmad. Well, forced into conversation back to our story they began to open up and talk not just not just about friday and and the cross but about their frustration with jesus who was this great man and and accepted as a great prophet who gave up and let them kill him look it's in verse 21 we're not making this up this is an imagination now and here's here's what they're saying but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem israel and what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us, that they went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen visions of, excuse me, of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, "But him, they didn't, they didn't see him. See, these two travelers were lost between truth and half-truths. Rather than hang around to see what they could learn or really learn, they, they chose to believe what would confirm their miserable thoughts. They would rather simply believe that Jesus let them down. And they turned their backs, and they went on a trip, hoping that somewhere in the journey, they might find something other than they would ever find in Jerusalem us. You see, it's Satan's number one strategy when our spiritual theology doesn't come through the way we had programmed it to happen. He gets us to, to turn into ourselves rather than patiently wait for God's plan. He does it well. Every one of, well, I bet you many of us here at least, have heard somebody tell their woe story about how God failed them, and they are no longer interested in that story any longer. Disappointed, God let them down. we got two men on the same journey. It's a real issue. And it's one that has a strategy behind it, a very effective strategy behind it. And Satan has used it for a very long time. You see, the evidence was there. They were they were just too impatient, too stubborn to wait, or maybe just too worn out from all that the weekend held for them to be bothered with the facts. But it's so easy to jump to conclusions with half the facts. We we do it all too often. Someone tells us their side of the story, and, and off we go, convinced we have the whole truth. Stephen Covey, in his, in his uh, book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, tells the story of a man, I, I, I can't remember for sure, I think maybe the man was him, but this man who got on a subway, No, no, I'm sorry, that man who got on the subway wasn't Stephen, this was a man who got on the subway train with his three boys, he sits down, head slumped lower than his shoulders. you ever been in that place? Well, his three boys run wild, loud, and he doesn't say a thing. A passenger, now I think that's who Stephen Covey might say he was, a passenger in sheer frustration speaks to the man about his son's behaviors, and the man, startled, looks up and, and then realizes what's happening with his boys, and then begins to apologize, saying to the annoyed passenger how sorry he was. He said, I I was just lost in my my own thoughts. You you see, we're heading home from my wife's, my my boy's, mama's funeral, and I I think we're all a little overwhelmed. Half the facts, getting just what we think we see, distorts the story way too often when the truth is found in the complete story. Now, I'm not also suggesting that we should, I'm sorry, this, this isn't something I'm saying right now for, to beat us up. This isn't the point about trying to make us feel guilty That the poor us. We have failed and we've misjudged and all that kind of stuff. I, I really want to make a very strong case for the journey, this road trip that we're talking about. Because the point is that in any road trip, there's a destination. And you can either land up in a lake, an ocean, or in a, between a rock and a hard place, literally... Or we can find ways to strategically get the full story so that we can move on. I mean, this half fact thing, we've gotten into this confused, blinded mess because a couple, this isn't new, I'm trying to say, because a couple about 7,000 years ago thought they could do a better job at programming their life. And with one bite, they passed this stubborn sin down through every generation since. Talking Adam and Eve, right? Now, I'm also not suggesting that we should just say, the devil made me do it like, and, and I'm like that because of some, some force that ha- I have no control over. And part true, part not true. Because there is really an interesting twist to this story. And then along comes... This wise stranger, he shakes them up. We're back into our Bible story. He shakes them up, as it were, and he brings them back into a fuller reality. And he says in verse 25, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Glory. You see, using the scriptures, he told them the whole truth. Yes, your, your Jesus chose to suffer the cross. He didn't just cave in. This was the ultimate sacrifice he had planned and designed before creation. The Moses and the prophets have laid this out, and you, of all people, should know, because you're a good Jewish people. You've, you've been through the books. You've heard the stories. no. No. You see, that Good Friday event was critical to a larger plan. And I assure you that he just didn't cave in to some greater power, for he is the greater power. And he goes on to explain, this stranger that we know now as Jesus, how the scriptures had all foretold the events just as they went through. And I mean, when I stop and I think about that sermon on the road wow that would have been one sermon to study in their life group the following week <laughs> think about it now it's in providing the whole truth the complete picture there lies the miracle of faith and understanding it's impossible to live life with some truth and then have our own version thrown into the mix but it is also it is so like us to hear the truth and then try to adjust it to our own liking In fact, there's an unholy trinity actively engaging you and me to prevent us from wanting the whole truth. This whole unholy trinity Satan, my flesh, and the world. Its job is to keep us too busy, too prideful, and ignorant of all the facts to jump to our own conclusions based on inaccurate data provided by these ungodly forces. They want us to trick us into thinking that we have it all when we don't have it all and keep us ignorant of the reality. My precious friends, no, no, more accurately, my brothers and sisters, that's us. It's our responsibility to go for the whole truth based on God's word. I need you to underline that thought somehow. It's our responsibility to go for the whole truth based on God's word. I am convinced that we are in a cultural mess within our own society because somehow we thought that God's word wasn't quite sufficient enough and so therefore we had to adjust the data to align with those who are not aligning with God's word. I cannot believe how quickly the trends of this day have gone without anybody inserting any kind of questioning on the matter. And it's entered into our schools, and it's entered into our police forces, and it's entered into our, 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 our medical institutions, and we have been left going, what in the world? We're only getting the story, half, half the story, and nobody's wanting the whole story. I just wonder if perhaps when Jesus said we're to take up our cross and to follow him, if part of the difficulty and accompanying discomfort of daring to expose the whole truth is not in fact our call, something we need to be embracing. We need to listen to our God, our Savior as he walks along beside us, unfolding the whole story step by step. So let me get real practical now. I want you to play along with me. Let's pretend that none of you are hockey players. You've all just arrived from, let's say, Congo. There's a safe place, assuming that there's probably not a whole lot of hockey players in Congo. But you're taking the last Friday's Warrior game and decided that if you signed up, you'd be the winning factor they needed. It just looked obvious. So you buy the equipment. You learn to skate as fast as you can, sort of. You buy the CD, Don's Cherry, How to Play Hockey, and you find a team desperate enough for one more required player. And you show up. It's Monday night, and the coach has said, We're going to have a practice on Monday night, so why don't you come along and join us? I'm ready to go. And you spend the hour and a half on pra- in practice with the with the coach. He's kind of instructed you, and you're kind of moving along. And at the end of the pro- the, the coach, you're, at the end of the game or practice, you're you're all pumped, and, and you go to the coach, and, and you say, "So how would I do?" And he said, "Well, I I I, I respect your enthusiasm," <laughs> and he said, "Thank you." Somehow that seemed like a good thing, and then he said. We're having our next practice on Thursday night and you go oh no you, you don't seem to understand I got the equipment I got the CD I bought the book I've learned to skate and I've come for the practice and I'm on the team that's good enough I mean, it's a simple story, a simple illustration. I hope it's simple enough for us to translate over into another reality. I feel so blessed to be part of this church. I think all of us who are here do. I think God has, well, it's, 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 it's a wonderful gift to find ourselves sitting in the pews here. Not that there's not other wonderful places to sit in the community. I'm just saying, I am so blessed that we are here. And I am so blessed to call you my brother and sister in Jesus. I'm blessed to be part of this church and knowing that we are part of a greater movement called Church Renewal that is calling us to take this road trip which invites our risen Christ, our risen Jesus to walk us in for the purpose of changing us into card-carrying, transformed followers of eternity's King of Kings. Long line. But I think that's who we are but the call is not only join in the game. This isn't pick up hockey where the outcome doesn't matter, but a call to show up for practice. And I don't know if you've noticed, but, well, I think you have. Maybe you haven't put it in this context before, but but we have two amazing practice venues. One of them is called Hearing God. My concern with with hearing God, and our second one I'll talk about in a minute is set free. My concern is that in our culture, we, we have been encouraged to show up to, to seminars and, and workshops, and, and, and if you go into chapters, for those of you who are readers, I mean, there's just tons of self-help books, and, 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 and we go in and we do it, And and then we kind of feel like the guy who joined up and did the the one practice and says, no, I've heard you, coach. You've told me what to do. I'm ready to go into the game. And, um, And we think that's it. You see, hearing God isn't a workshop. And it's not a seminar. It's a cultural adjustment. It's the call to God's people to walk together in a plan specifically designed to help us understand clearly what the answer for God, from God is to the world around us. There are so many voices screaming at us. You know that. And they come in all kinds of ways and through different media, and, and, and they're shouting all kinds of things, and, and, and we're hearing that so loud and it's so persistent so that when we open our Bible, we flip the pages around and we read, and all of a sudden, that passage isn't quite as, well, it's not quite the way I would design it. And then we start to make the adjustments. We start to do the fine-tuning. And we can't hear God clearly in the mix. Hearing God is a six-week exercise that invites us to learn how to decipher the shepherd's voice. Because when you're the sheep, you know what? The shepherd's voice. You know it. We need it, friends. We need it more than we've ever needed it before. We have a second practice venue. It's called Set Free, Friday night, Saturday, as you know. And it's designed to provide you with a chance to learn the skills needed to correct the misinformation. More accurately, the lies we allow into our lives defining and controlling our lives. Lies that guarantee either not making the team by giving up or by setting you up for a really bad GPS fail. We have these lies. I've been to, well I've been to, how many hearing gods have we done, three? Two last year, or have we done four? No, no, I'm sorry, hearing God. two. Oh yeah, two, two sessions. And um, here's, here's, what, here's what I learned. The first time I sat down and hearing God, I was hearing things that I hadn't heard before, quite frankly, and the first thing you do when you hear something new, that it doesn't quite sit right, you defend yourself. And so you're going through six weeks, one night a week, listening to stuff that you're not quite getting and arguing against it. And fortunately, there, there were one or two things in that first hearing God that I, that I heard, and I thought, this is kind of interesting. And it would have been so easy when the next one came around just to simply say, i got the manual, it's on my shelf at home, I've been there, I've kind of done it, tuck it away. I've been, hearing, I've been to hearing God. I went back the second time now, I'm on staff here, and you're thinking he's probably required to go. Am I? He says I'm not. Well, I didn't know that. Um, what I got in practice session number two exponentially went above what I got in practice number one. You learn. It's not about getting the book and buying it and thinking that's the end in itself. It's going on. Set free, I've been to four set-free's. Don't think I'm desperate. Maybe I am. Four set freeze. I remember going to the first one. It was over in Southland, over in uh, in, in Manitoba. And, And we come to this part where we're talking about confession. I knew this was going to come. They'd warned me. And so we're going to come, and I'm going to sit with two other men, and we're going to confess our sins. I'm going to tell you quite frankly, I'm sitting there leading up to this triad thinking, which is the least of my sins that I can confess here? I've got to walk away from this group, right? There is such an amazing grace about Jesus. When we finally stop in our journey, he's walking along beside us, and he says, what are you talking about? And he starts to unfold the story. I walked away from that, so, that set free, and I've walked away from three additional set frees. Three? Three additional set frees. I am not the same man I was a year and a bit ago. Because you can't be when you have this thing going on in your heart that allows you to open up to the graces and the goodness of God, because he doesn't batter us. And I sat with, with two men, John Henry and, and Travis Laszlo. I don't know if I just broke something there but these two men sat with me and I went deeper than I'd ever gone in the first three. And they listened and they loved me and they prayed for me and I asked Jesus to forgive me of those particular sins, those strongholds, those things that had me tied down. It's not a workshop. It's it's a thing we do. As God's people who live in a messy world, who've picked up all kinds of stuff along the way, it's not a, a once-in-a-lifetime exercise. Well, and then we have Prayer Summit. Steve did an amazing job on de- de- defining what's going on tonight. This is the game, friends. We've been to two practice things, and then we finally get up to the game. And the prayer summit, as I picture it, is kind of we're, we're, in the, we're in the change room. We're getting ready to head out. we got a month ahead of us. And we're going to, not that that's the only time we pray, I hope, but we got this, this design and this plan, and we're in there, and we are ready now to face the next month because we have listened clearly to the coach We've had opportunities to confess the stuff that's breaking down our lives and we're going out to play the game. See, this is called the road trip. It's the journey. It's where we're heading because we know the game as a Christ follower is best played when our coach is directing the plays. This is how Jesus comes along besides us and asks, what are you talking about as you walk along? And then he unfolds the necessary supports needed to correct our half-inaccurate, self-protecting beliefs and practices. The more exciting, as you come back next week, you're going to discover that through all this, he reveals himself. That's the gift we get your eyes are open and you see more than just a better life. You see Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So hey, see it next practice. There's a good closing line. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you have walked us carefully. You've provided us with tools. You've given us the word. And oh God, for that we are so grateful. But Jesus, give us a heart to want to walk and work together with your family here. Love it when my kids come over. It's family. I love it when we get together with your children, my brothers and sisters. It's family. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.